Well, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Just want to make sure you haven't missed this. Jesus is still alive. All right? There you go. That's good. Uh, man, what a great Sunday we had last Sunday. I want to commend you, church, for loving your neighbors, loving your family, loving your friends and your coworkers to the point that many of you took the next step and you invited them to church last week, and so many of them came with you. Church, thank you so much. For those of you that were here last week for the first time, and maybe you're back this week after Easter, thank you so much for joining us. It's just an absolute joy uh, to be with you. Uh, man, I had fun in between services. I always do, interacting with people. Uh, but this morning, uh, one of my little buddies showed up early, and uh, they called last night and said, hey, can we talk? Um, my little um, buddy Ryan, he goes by Boosies, who I call him most of the time. Um, anyway, uh, they called up and said, hey, can we talk in, in between services tomorrow? So we went back in my office, he and his mom and dad, Landon and Crystal. And man, we just talked about the gospel, and we talked about Jesus, and we talked about salvation. And I gave him some time with his mom and dad, and they came out. Anyway, Ryan prayed and received Christ this morning as his Lord and Savior. <laughs> Amen. I said, man, can I tell everybody that? I said, I won't tell them your name. Can I tell everybody that happened? He said, yeah, and you can tell them my name. I'm like, sweet, bold from the get-go. So, man, we just praise God for that, Ryan. Super proud of you, bud, and we absolutely love it. Hey, we're in part two of our series called Flipside. Last week, we talked about the flip side of the grave, and what we're trying to do over the next couple of weeks is just take a different angle and perspective on truths and topics that can help us understand deeper about what God has for us in our life. And today we want to talk about the flip side of happiness, the flip side of happiness. Well, as Americans, we have this mantra, we have this saying, it's written down in our documents. You're going to help me finish it, all right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And pursue it, don't we? Man, at all costs, we pursue it. Well, if you watch and pay attention to secular advertising, they tell you that for $19.95 plus shipping and handling, they could fix all your problems and all your worries and take care of you and bring you happiness. So I thought for just a few moments I'd give you some of my few favorites from the uh, recent past and what's going on right now that are out there in the advertising world. The first one, it's been around a little bit, but it's still a classic. The old Snuggie, you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, had mine on last night, right? Uh, we're, pretty sure, we're pretty convinced that Luke Brown has a camouflage version in his house. Anyway, Snuggie, well, the Snuggie has kind of morphed. It's kind of, it's kind of gone to another level. It's shifted a little bit, and now they've come out with the burrito blanket. That's what that is. That's truly a blanket. It's called the burrito blanket. So if you want to get all wrapped up like a burrito, I think they stole that idea from me because when we had little ones, um, you know, like how you wrap your kid when they're a baby, like, you know, determines how they feel comfortable and whatnot. And I would always tell Terry, tell you, me put them in a burrito, right? You'd wrap them real tight on the end and swoop them up. Well, they took my idea and there they go. Hey, here's your next help for $19.95 plus shipping and handling. I don't know if you can see it or not. It's called the sock slider. Anyway, we'll go to the next picture. You're going to be able to see this thing. Yeah, you put your sock on there, and then you put your foot in and through, and it puts your sock on for you. Happy days, folks. Happy days. My question is, if you can't get your sock on your foot, how are you going to get your sock on that little thing right there? That's my question. But anyway, and then last but not least, the pet butler. This is actually a vest that comes with a tray, and you can put your stuff on there, and they can bring it to you. But the reality is most of you are your pet's butler, aren't you? Yeah, you wind them and dine them all the time and take good care of them. 
Uh, Dave Ramsey put it this way. He said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And that's where a lot of us are in our pursuit of happiness. I want to give you an equation on the screen here that I think a lot of us have bought into as like this is what it takes for me, for you, for us to experience happiness. It's this idea that better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus thrilling experiences plus the right relationships plus the perfect appearance equals happiness. How many of you in this room right now are pulling three out of five? Are you with me? I mean, we don't have all five of these, much less like two of them at the same time. The problem with this equation is if you pull one of them out, if one of them is missing, then your happiness is gone. It just goes and you can't get it back. I would suggest that we as believers have allowed this whole worldly mentality and definition of happiness to creep into and maybe to rush into our religion and our church and the way we go about following Jesus. And it's a very, very dangerous, dangerous thing to do. I think sometimes we do it consciously and maybe sometimes we do it subconsciously when we put this happiness thing on Jesus. Jesus, it's your job to make me happy. Listen to me. Jesus never, ever, ever promises to make you happy. Read the scripture. He never declares that. He never says, I promise to make you happy. I never promised you a perfect life. I never promised you an easy life. Some things he did promise that we ought to hold on to and we ought to run to and we ought to believe in is he promised us a changed life. But that whole changed life thing is kind of hard for us to deal with because change means what I've been doing all these years I've been comfortable with and now Jesus comes along and he starts changing things and I don't know about you but when you start changing things things start getting uncomfortable right but he says I promise you a changed life and so he's working in our life to change us which may bring about discomfort he promised us an abundant life or real life in other words a life that's lived on mission with perfect with purpose and fervency and eternal life. These are the things that he promised, but he never, ever promised to make us happy. Too many of us have bought into this false idea that God just wants me happy. And that sounds something like this. We, we, we hear it or we believe it or we say it in our head like, God just wants you to enjoy your life. Above all else, God only wants good things to happen in your life. And God never wants anything bad to happen in your life. Because for you, the bottom line is God wants you to be happy. And after all, you deserve it. And we find ourselves believing that. I want to put a box on the screen this morning and just kind of think through how a lot of us, I'm afraid, find ourselves viewing and interacting with God. And it's really messed up. And it really lands us in a very dangerous place. And I would say that it takes us beyond a dangerous place if we continue in this place to a very destructive place, okay? So on your box there, and you've got that in your notes, we're going to put uh, four phrases around it. Um, up here in the top right, we've got I want. In the bottom right, we've got I need. I mean, like, I've got my wants, you've got your wants. We've got a long list of them. And then we say I need. Man, we use that word a lot, don't we? I need this. 
and I need that. If you have kids, how often do your kids ask you for something that they need and you tell them you don't need that, you just want that? I wonder where they learned how to say I need that when all they really can say is I want that. They hear mom and dad say things like I need a new car. It was quiet in the first one, too. Everybody, okay, all right. So I'm like, whoop. Some of you bought a car this week, and you're like, oh, no. But we, we use that one a lot. I need. Uh, over here, I get. In other words, it's all about me. It should come to me. Everything's coming my way. It comes this way. And then up the top, on the left, up there, whoo, I deserve. That's a strong, strong thing to say. I deserve this. I deserve that. In other words, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to this. This approach, it's going to get you. It's going to get you. Um, it's going to take us down a very dangerous path. Now, in the middle of this box, here's what a lot of us think belong there. We think that's where God belongs. In our little box that's surrounded by what I want, what I need, what I think I'm supposed to get, and what I deserve. And so there's God, and yeah, it doesn't take long to figure out what's happening here. We just put God in a box, didn't we? We put God in a box. And many times we find ourselves in our minds and in our hearts in some shape, form, fashion, and maybe your words around the box or your criteria around the box looks a little bit different, but we put God in a box. Now some of you be like, yeah, I put God in a box, but my box is bigger than that. Whatever, man. Like, if you're putting God in a box, you're putting God in a box, and we cannot put God in a box. We just can't do it again. This approach, it's going to get you. It's this idea that God's there to make me happy. If God's there to make me happy, then if it makes me happy, it must be right. And if it doesn't make me happy, then it must be wrong. Do you see how dangerous this gets in a hurry? If it's easy, it must be from God. If it's hard, ah, that can't be from God. And the next thing you know, we don't have the God who created us. We don't have the God who sustains us. We don't have the God who's the Savior of the world. We instead, in our lives, have the God of comfort, money, and pleasure. And we find ourselves worshiping and expecting that God to give us what we want, what we need, what we deserve and what we think we're going to get. God's here to please me is where a lot of us land. And we make God something that he's not. God is not, listen to me, God is not your cosmic vending machine. Well, you know, I, I prayed some prayers, and man, I went to church as often as it, you know, I didn't have something else better to do. I showed up quite a bit. I did more good than bad this week. I helped an old lady cross the street. Man, I was on my way home from work the other day, and I didn't even run over my neighbor's cat, and I so had an opportunity to do it. Man, I let that thing go. I gave some money to somebody that needed it. I even gave online at church the other day. I have prayed all the prayers. I put the money in the machine. I pushed the button, and now, God, you give me what I want. You give me what I deserve. I expect to get this from you. God, my headaches should go away. God, I should get the job. God, I should get this because I did that. Here's what's happening. 
We are finding ourselves with a faux faith in a faux God. Faux meaning a cheap imitation of what is real. Faux faith in a faux God. And if you have a faux God that fits in your box of everything is about you, the moment that your faux God doesn't do for you what you think he ought to do for you, guess what you do? You quit having your faux faith in your faux God, and you say, forget God. That's what you do. And I'm going to tell you, some people aren't following Jesus today because they think that God was supposed to do for them this or that, and he didn't, and he disappointed them because they thought that's how he worked, and that's not how he works, and so they gave up on God completely. And maybe that's where some of you are right now, or you're on the verge of being right now because it didn't work out the way you thought it ought to work out, and if you've got a God that functions the way you think he ought to function, it would have worked out the way that you thought it ought to work out. Here's what we got to do. We've got to drop a spiritual nuke on this thing before it gets us, before it gets your faith. Listen, we've got to blow it up. Some of you are like, wait a minute, did he just blow God up? You can't blow God up. I didn't blow God up. I just blew up your false ideas. I just blew up your box. You can drop whatever you want to on it to get all real. God is still there. What we've got to get rid of is the box and our false mentality and beliefs about him so that he can be who he's supposed to be and so that we can become who we're supposed to be. It's just so, so important to let God be God. The God who loves you and gave his one and only son for you. The God who knows best for you, even when it's the hard thing for you and not the happy thing. Here's the big idea that I really want you to get this morning, and that is this. God isn't here to please you. You are here to please God. And some of you just went, what? This is not what I've thought all along. God is not here to please you. You are here to please God. Some of you have tried faith in Christianity as your path to happiness. And on your path to happiness, you thought God was here to please you rather than you being here to please him. And you're actually more unhappy right now after trying faith than before trying faith because you got it all messed up even deeper. You took it from like a like a uh, everyday stuff level down to a stuff to, to excuse me to a soul level, and it's very very dangerous. God isn't here to please you; you are here to please God. Let me give you one time, uh, one area in which God definitely doesn't want you to be happy and doesn't want to see you go. It's coming on the screen. That is this: God doesn't want you happy if it leads you to sin. And man, it's easy to get on a happy train and go sin, isn't it? I mean, you got your stuff that you like, and I've got my stuff that I like, and at the end of the day, it's just wrong. It's not right. It's sinful. It's unholy. But because it's going to make me happy for a moment, I'm going to go for it. God doesn't want you happy if it leads you to sin. Why is God so like animated about this thing of sin because he knows that sin brings about destruction and death in your life. He knows that. Even as a believer, listen to me, like saved, going to heaven person, 
Sin still brings death and destruction. And God is saying to you, stay away from that stuff because it's going to bring about hard stuff in your life. Look, look, look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It's going to come on the screen. I encourage you to open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat underneath in front of you. You can find this on page 535. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a path before each person that seems right. But it ends in what? That's a fun thing to talk about, right? There's a path before each person that seems right. Have you ever watched somebody, like maybe a family member, a friend, a coworker? you're pretty close to them, and you know them pretty well, you kind of know how they tick, and you're watching them, and you, you watch them, and you realize they are about to do something that is completely, absolutely, totally boneheaded, foolish, and just what are they thinking? Not necessarily something that's immoral or ungodly, but it's something that's like boneheaded. All right, And you're watching them, and you're like, here they go. But in their mind, it seems like the wise thing to do. In their mind, it seems like the right thing to do. In their mind, it seems like the permissible thing to do. In their mind, it seems like the best decision they possibly can make. And you're like, man, what are they thinking? This is not going to end well for them, right? Guess what? You've been on the flip side of that before where people that know you well have watched you, and you're making decisions, and they're all like, man, what are they? This is totally boneheaded. What are, they, what are they doing? But to you, it seemed right. It felt right. You thought that what you were about to do would work out. You thought nobody's going to get hurt. You thought everything's going to be okay. You thought it's going to be worth it. You thought you deserved it. But listen to me, the ride always cost in the end. Um, in the not too far past, I um, made a trip with three of my favorite people in the world, one of which was my wife. The other two people, I won't, I won't throw their names in the mix, but we were on a trip. We were coming back um, from up in the Midwest. There's a lot of open fields and interstates between here and there, and it's a long drive. We'd had a great time. We were doing good things while we were there. And we needed to get back, and it was dark, and we were rolling down the road, and we were just we were having a great time. This car passes me. They're going faster than I am, and I'm thinking, all right, front door. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so I slide in there, and I kick it on up just a little bit, and we are rolling, baby. I mean rolling. Anyway, we go quite a few miles. Next thing you know, they take an exit, but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like we've gone this far. We had not seen anybody. Nobody's seen us. We are good. Let's keep this hammered down, and let's roll. About the time my favorite song came on. Have you ever noticed that when your favorite song comes on, you drive just a little bit faster? I don't know about you, but I, I do. And so anyway, I went just a little bit faster. And about, about the time my favorite song came on, some blue lights came on. And I'm like, oh, man. It cost me. It cost. Some of you are on a ride right now. You better get off. You better, it's going to cost you more than you can even imagine. Some of you right now are in the midst and in the season where you are thinking about doing something foolish, boneheaded, sinful, ungodly, and you are thinking about hopping on the ride. And you in your head right now, you're thinking, it seems right to me. 
It seems fair to me. It seems like it can all work out for me. I think this is going to be so much fun that it's going to be worth it. And I'm here to tell you the ride always costs in the end. Don't do it. I pray that God uses this moment as a Holy Spirit sobering moment in your life to bring you face to face with the possible consequences of where you will land if you hop on this ride that you are thinking about hopping on that seems like the right thing to do. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And let's think about marriage for just a minute. Minute. You get married, you say some words like this at some point, right? I'm committing to you for better or for... And in our heads, we're standing there and everything's all beautiful and perfect. And we're like, it's all going to be better. So I'm in. You know, like men, you got your stuff you're thinking about. Women, you got your stuff you're thinking about, and both of you are thinking about better stuff, right? It's going to get better. And sometimes it don't get better. Sometimes it gets worse. Some of you right now are in the midst of the worst. And God right now is not calling you to happiness. He is calling you to commitment and faithfulness in your marriage. Listen, just because things don't go well doesn't mean that God's not in it. It doesn't mean that God's done with what you said you were going to do. God's working in your life. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse number 11. Um, We preached through the book of Philippians just a few weeks ago. We spent seven weeks in it. We didn't cover every verse, what I'm about to read today. We didn't have time to get to. So we talked about joy, real joy. And so, man, if you want to jump back on to the website or the podcast and listen in and catch up with that, that would be awesome. I want to pick up in verse number 11 of chapter 4. Paul writing... Here's what he says. Not that I was ever in need. Now, hang on just a second. Paul's writing this, and he uses the word need. You know that word that we flippantly use all the time, right? Like, I need this, and I need that, and I need this. Hey, what do you need from the store, right? We use that all the time. What do you need from the store? We make up all kinds of stuff we need from the store, right? What do you need? And here's Paul, and he says, not that I was ever in need. This is the Paul who's been following Jesus to the point that it's gotten him beaten multiple times. It's gotten him whipped multiple times. It caused him to experience shipwreck multiple times. All kinds of things that he experienced in his life. Paul's sitting here in jail, and he writes to these people about joy, and he says, not that I was ever in need. Now, if Paul was never in need, how many of us have ever really been in need of anything? Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, this is so important, it's a process, this isn't a snap your fingers, woohoo, I got it figured out, he had, to, he had to go through this, I have learned how to be content, that's a huge word, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Go on, next verse, verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with, what does it say, everything. Everything? That's what he says. I have learned the secret. Here's the secret sauce. Here it is. Here's what he's got. He's going to share it with you. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Situations that are good, I've learned. Situations that are bad, I've learned. Situations that are okay, I've learned. Situations that are mundane, I've learned. Situations that are hard, I've learned. Situations that are boring, I've learned. I have learned in every situation. Here's the secret. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, 
with plenty or little, verse 13, one of the most spoken verses of Scripture today, one of the most misused verses of Scripture today, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's what he said. The whole story of Jesus, I have learned that Jesus is about me helping Helping me through every single day of life, whether it's good or bad, hard or easy. That's why Jesus came to help me now. He's changed my life for eternity, but he's changing me now. And the secret sauce to an empty life is found through the empty tomb. Listen, I'm telling you, we are looking all kinds of places except for Jesus to find our contentment, our satisfaction, and our happiness, and it can only be found in Christ. And that's when he says, I can do everything. What does he mean by everything? Well, I can hit a home run for Jesus. Well, maybe you can, and maybe that's what it's talking about. Maybe, but he's just talking about every day. I can go through the day because of Jesus, and I can go through tomorrow because of Jesus, and I can go through the next day because of Jesus. I can go through the good days because of Jesus and the bad days because of Jesus. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you right now, you are desperate for the strength of Christ in your life because things are not going well. Things are hard. The Scripture declares that you can go through it even with contentment because of the empty tomb. Remember last week we talked about how a lot of times we miss the truth of the tomb that's empty. This is where it comes in, in the everyday grind in what we've got going on in our lives. God doesn't want you to pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue him. He said, man, in Jesus, I found my purpose. I found my joy. I found my hope, my contentment, my satisfaction. So there's some guys in the Gospels. They're known as the 12 Apostles. And uh, you could probably name a few of them. We're going to read about them here in just a minute. And in my mind, I have thought back a lot of times, like, man, what if I could go back and I could be one of those 12? Like, get to walk with Jesus, get to talk with Jesus, get to eat with Jesus, get to watch Jesus do the miracles, get to go get the little loaves and fishes for him and get to see all that happen. Maybe, maybe be like Peter and hop out on the water and walk with him too. And I've often thought, like, where would my faith be if I got to be with Jesus? Hear every one of his teachings, every one of his sermons, do life with Jesus. If there's anybody on the planet that you just think, man, have big, huge understanding of who Jesus is, why he came, and his teachings, you would think it would be the 12. Matthew chapter 20, all right? Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be in verse number 20, page 985 in the Black Bibles, okay? Excuse me, page 818 in the Black Bibles. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother... Of James and John. Now, in case you're missing this, James and John are two of the twelve. Okay? They're two of the twelve. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her two sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Do you see what's going on here? We got two grown men. They've been hanging out with Jesus every day. And they're gonna let mama ask a favor for them of the guy they've been hanging out with every day. How emasculating is this moment? Recorded in history for all time. As a grown man, I want my mom to do things for me, but I don't want you to know about it. Are you with me? If I want to be a mama's boy, I want to be a mama's boy over there, not a mama's boy where everybody else can know about it. We got two grown men. 
Mama's going to approach Jesus. It's almost like they were too afraid to man to man look Jesus in the eye and say, Jesus is what I want. But anyway, Mama comes into play and she asks him for a favor. All right, here she goes. Verse 21, what is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Now, if you're a parent, I'm a parent. Anytime that we have the opportunity as parents to leverage our connection, to help our kid get a little bit further, a little bit faster, get bumped up a notch, to let our kids go number one, number two in the draft, we will make the phone call. Am I right? Because we, we, we like for our kids to succeed because in our minds, at the depth of that, it really is if they succeed, I succeed. Maybe we're, maybe, maybe we're more about our success than we are they, their success, maybe. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong to help your kids out, but that's what's going on right here. Okay? And here's what she asked. Hey, can you, put, can you put one on your right and one on your left? All right? Verse 22, but Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. I wonder how many times when we're praying, God wants to say that out loud to us. You have no idea what you're asking for right now. Are you with me? Like, you, just, you don't even have a clue what you're asking for right now. He says it to her. He goes on to say, are you able... To drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink. That is a huge, massive, deep question. And they gave a quick, shallow response. Here it is. Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Now, they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They should have known what Jesus was talking about because he's been telling them over and over and over. Here's what Jesus has told them. I came here to live among you so that I can die for you. I came to this earth so I could suffer for your sins. I came to this earth to experience the cross. That's why I came. That's the suffering that I'm going to have to go through. Are you able to go through the suffering with me? Oh, yes, we are able. No problem. Anyway, verse 23. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. Do you see what Jesus just said there? I could care less who's number one and who's number two. That is not why I'm here. That is not why you should be here. These are silly questions you're asking me right now that only the Father can answer. I came not for you to be number one and for you to be number two or for you to be number one and for you to be number two. I came so that all of mankind could experience eternity with me and life change now through the cross. That's why I came. All right? But they missed it. Not only they miss it, we miss it too. Because there's a part of us who are like, <clears throat> I think I kind of deserve to be a little bit higher on the notch with God than this guy. I mean, I, I, I'm here every week, and I don't see them every week. Mm -hmm. And then offering bucket goes around, I ain't seen them drop nothing in. I do. Hey, Jesus, do me a favor. We've been with you all the time. Can you, can you bump me up? Maybe, maybe we're not so audacious to ask for number one, but maybe number two. Maybe number two. Look at verse 24. This thing's infectious. It messes everybody up. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were 
indignant. Man, we have four kids, and I'm telling you what, if just one of them gets sideways, it's like all of them go sideways. Two of them go sideways, and then all 12 of them go sideways. They're like, well, if they're going to fight for it, I'm going to fight for it. If they think they deserve it, I think I deserve it. If they think they're going to get it, I'm going to get it. And so we got all this yeah, yeah, and all this jealousy, all this selfishness, all this stuff going on. I'm going to tell you, it can creep into the church in a heartbeat, and it will kill us. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't know about any number ones and number twos, because there's only one that we lift up here, and his name is Jesus. And if you want to get fired up about that in a negative way, I don't know who you want to follow. It's Jesus. The moment I start saying, well, I'm number one and you're number two, indignant, it's just going to, this, this whole attitude is just going to fly everywhere. It's going to fly everywhere. It's infectious. Be careful about it. Verse number 25. But Jesus called them together, family meeting. Kids, sit down. Everybody hush. I'm talking. Let's straighten this thing out. Let's get recalibrated. That's what needs to happen this morning. Some of us need to get recalibrated. Listen to what he says. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. This is the world's way of doing things. I am here and you are there. I am high, you are low. I'm going to get higher and the way I'm going to get higher is by pushing you lower. That's the way the world functions. Can we agree with that? That's just the way it works. He goes on in verse 26, but among you, this is so huge, but among you it will be what? Different. He's saying this to them on that day, and he's saying it to us today. It will be different among this. Different how? Like we don't function like the world functions? Sure, but it's deeper than that. He knows that the world's way of getting on top and being number one and finding success and finding happiness doesn't really get what we need in our souls. So he's saying for me, we're going to function differently so that we can experience a difference here. I want something different for you guys. Listen to me, guys. Y'all not been listening to me. Listen, I want something different for you. Here's how it's going to look among us. Here's how it's going to function for you. He goes on to verse um, number 26. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. Woo! That's the word we want to be known as, right? A servant. A servant. He goes on the next verse. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your that's a really strong word, right? Like some of you didn't want to say it out loud. Like, can we say that word out loud? That's a bad word. It is kind of a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an ugly word. It's a beautiful word in the proper context of understanding that we serve a king. Okay? And this is what he's calling us to. He's calling us to a different way of living so that we can have a different experience in life. This is our calling. Okay? This is what, this is what he's calling me to. This is what he's calling you to. This is the flip side of happiness. This is the deep depths of the joy of Jesus in service. Verse 28. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you imagine for just one moment if verse 28 read the opposite? What if verse 28 said, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, and to get as much as he can from as many as he can. What if it read that way? If it read that way, let me tell you what, we would not be reading about the cross. We would not be reading about the redemption. 
We would not be reading about the empty tomb. We would be reading about a very selfish guy who came to get what he could get and then going about his business. But instead, it reads, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom, what a beautiful word. I'm going to pay a serious price to get you out of what you're stuck in, into freedom, into my family. And I'm going to do that for many. Who's the many? I'm the many. You're the many. They are the many. He died to pay a steep, steep price to get us out of our stuckness in sin, free us from that, and bring us into the family of God. He came to serve, to do miracles, absolutely, to heal people, absolutely, to teach, absolutely. But he came ultimately for the cross. The cross is why he came, to die for me, to die for you, so that he could come up, so there could be an empty tomb, so that we could experience life, life more abundantly, and eternal life. Listen to me. you got to get this. God isn't here to please you. You are here to please him. If you are saved... You should be gladly willing to serve. And through your service with the humility of Jesus, understanding what God's got for you through the gospel, you can experience the secret sauce that Paul experienced, a contentment, a satisfaction, a purpose, and a fulfillment that only comes through following the ways of Jesus. So here's my question for you. How is he calling you today? And y'all, y'all were like, man, I knew we'd get there. Man, I knew this was coming. Like, I knew we are going to have to get specific about this. Like, you're talking about serving. It was generic. Now we're going to, what is he calling you to do today? What, what is God saying to you for you to be different and for you to experience different? I need you, a saved person redeemed by me through the service of Jesus. I need you now to serve in this particular way. What's he calling you to do? Maybe... You're young and you're single and he's calling you to be pure and to stay pure. Maybe he's calling you to give. Maybe he's calling you to serve someone else in need. Maybe he's calling you to say no to that thing that you struggle with and that you give into. And he's saying, we got to be done with that. You're different now. That's not going to bring your happiness. It's only going to bring destruction. Maybe he's calling you to love your spouse unconditionally. Maybe he's calling you to share the empty tomb story with somebody. Maybe he's calling you to experience what Paul said was the secret to really living and then share that secret with everybody else you can find so that they can experience it too. Listen to me, God never promised to make you happy, but he did promise that he would hold you and never let you go. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're facing. But he says, hard or easy, I'm in it with you every single step of the way. That's his promise to you. I promise to hold you. I promise to hold you. As we wrap this time up, I just want to give you a couple of ways that you can potentially respond to what we've spoken of this morning, some next steps for you to consider. Maybe for you, you need to drop a spiritual nuke on your little bitty box. And you need to blow that box up and out and gone and let God be God. And as a result, say, God, you're God. I'm not. You tell me how this works. I'm not going to tell you. 
How can, I, how can I please you? How can I do things that you want me to do for you? I'm, I'm, I'm blowing it up. No more box. No more limitations. No more stuckness. God, you do whatever you want to do. It's where some of us are this morning and we need to do. Maybe for you, you, you need to accept the salvation that came through the service of Jesus him paying his life as a ransom for many. And today is the day that you need to accept that salvation. Man, today can be that day. My boy Boosie, today was that day. He was late coming in church. Now he's late getting in church. He's calling grandparents. Hey, Mom, Dad, today was the day. Hey, grandparents, today was the day. We came in. We're singing, oh, happy day. Today is the day. It's a happy day. Today can be the day for you to experience Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, to change your life forever Easy, hard, whatever may come, he is going to hold you and be there for you because that's who he is. He's faithful. He's faithful.